0: Hey, everybody, if you have been loving the show so far, we would love your support in helping us grow. You can do that by subscribing and leaving us a review when you're finished with today's episode.
1: Thanks. Knowing what I know now, I would still do everything I did. I learned more about myself, about my kids, about my ex, about um, my parents, my friends, my family, and then this entire community of people that need help. That even if I could go back and rewind the clock to when this all started, I wouldn't take it away.
0: Welcome back to She's Simply Amazing, a podcast all about sharing the stories of women that can inspire us to live a huge, beautiful, and amazing life. I'm your host, Carrie Brinton. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to She's Simply Amazing. We have a really amazing guest today, one that I've been looking forward to for a long time to hear this story because it's it's a big story. It's a big story with a lot of parts and pieces to it. And I think it's a really powerful story. And I know that it's a story that a lot of people are probably experiencing right now. So Amy McAllister-Young. Hello. Hi, welcome. Thank you. Amy is a registered nurse who is currently the director of nursing at Ardu Recovery, which is a um, in in house treatment for how do I say this? Detox and alcohol for
1: well, drug and alcohol detox and recovery center. Okay, and it's an
0: inpatient. You work yep. with these people for a long time. She's the mother to four kids and five step kids.
1: Four step kids, four
0: step kids, four and four, four and four. Okay, yeah. four kids and four step kids, ranging from the ages of 14 on up to 23.
1: That's a lot. It's a lot.
0: It's a lot going yes. on. <laughs> and the interesting part in the story that we're going to talk to Amy about is she's also a recovering alcoholic. So she's going to tell us all about that journey and how that plays into what she does right now and how um, she uses her experiences to help uh, the people that she works with. So welcome. Thank you. I'm Thank- happy to be here. Good. I'm excited to hear this. You're, you're a... a funny lady, <laughs> you're
1: Thank funny you. writer.
0: We'll mention your blog in a minute here, but she's a really, really entertaining person. And that kind of person, like you meet her for a couple of minutes and you're like, yeah, we need to be really good friends because <laughs> you're super fun.
1: And she sits here sweating.
0: <laughs> she, she's really nervous <laughs> to share this story, but she's an open book. And so I'm really excited to hear that. But tell us a little bit about you and then we'll jump back into your actual story.
1: So I am the mother of four and the stepmom of four. I have been a nurse for 18 years. I've been in recovery since two 2014. And when I say in recovery, I don't say sober because that has come in waves up and down. So always in recovery. I grew up in Texas, moved to Utah, was married for 15 years the first time, and then have kind of gone in and out of good and bad (laughs) (laughs) since then. Good and bad relationships. And then, yeah, I use use my blog and my writing as a way to not only help me, but hopefully help other people who might be going through the same thing, especially in this community where it's not as accepted or open. Talked about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. It's definitely something that people need to hear and
0: they need to hear you and be able to relate to what you have gone through and are going through. All right. So let's kind of start, I think maybe the beginning of your story is at the end of your first marriage. So why don't you start there? What was happening there at the end of this 15 year marriage?
1: So yeah, I like how you put that. The beginning of the story is kind of the end of another life for me. So I got married shortly after I turned 19. I had my first baby about a year and a half later, and then it was just a series of kids and little mini life crises in there. Mm -hmm. So after 15 years, we've, finally called it. It was mostly mutual, and Mm -hmm. we've ended up being really good friends since then. But at the time, it was just kind of the end of a dream for me that, uh, you know, as a little girl, you grow up thinking that life is going to be marriage, family, happy ever after. And it wasn't, and that was really hard for me to kind of wrap my head around.
0: Was it like um, a mostly happy marriage that kind of gradually dissolved?
1: Yeah. I think that's why we're still such good friends is because Mm -hmm. there wasn't ever like this overwhelming hatred or, or right. disregard for each other. We we still are very good friends. We live five minutes away from each other. We spend Friday nights at football games together. Yeah. We're going to Scotland and Ireland with our own spouses together next summer. Um, Hello. <laughs> so my son's on a mission right now, and when he gets back in January, so we are taking my two oldest boys as a group of six out there and traveling Europe together. So, very cool. Um, yeah, so we had a good friendship and a good marriage I shouldn't say good marriage. We had a really good friendship and a good thing going and we just weren't good together anymore. Mm. We kind of became toxic for each other. So the problems that do come along in a marriage just kind of continued and so it it got to the point where we were honestly better off as friends. And that's a hard thing to say when we're in a community that is very family focused and divorce is kind of a last option and I went through a lot of guilt. For yeah. for calling it because for a long time I felt like I should have tried harder especially now before I got remarried six months ago well we'll get to this later but I just I, <laughs> there was a time in my life where I really had to reconcile that I had given up that maybe if I had tried harder we would have stayed married for the sake of the kids there wouldn't have been all this drama that kind of came subsequently and I really it was something I spent a lot of time on my knees crying and trying to just make peace with because I felt like because we are such good friends now and because we do co-parent so well that maybe I ruined oh. a family by making a decision when I did.
0: Oh, wow. Um, so. so we are kind of jumping to the end of the story. Yeah, that's okay. No, didn't no, no, no. did to get there so quickly, no, but yeah, that was a huge part of it. So that's such—that's so interesting. My goodness. Right now in this moment, though, given what you've gone through, which we'll talk about in a second— yes. No regrets. No regrets. Okay, that's what I was getting to. At this point, you've reconciled the fact that that was the right choice at the Mm -hmm. time and what's happened over the last six years brings value to your life.
1: Yeah, so we've been divorced for 10 years and I have only been married for the last six months. I wouldn't have even gotten to a place where I think I would have dated again if I hadn't been able to reconcile that. Mm. I went through... A whole lot of stuff that we will talk about. And then it was after that, and looking back on the mess I had made of things over the previous six, seven years mm-hmm. in decisions I had made and what I'd put through my kids through and my parents through and my ex husband through, there was that, yeah, probably six months of really having to wrestle with my own guilt and regret and wow. just accept that it was, and it was, it was the best thing that happened to to any of us. And I think my kids would still agree with that. I think, oh, I know. I mean, everybody knows we're a lot better off where we are now.
0: That's good. Okay. So you got end of your 15 marriage, you went through a divorce. Like you said, there's a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of questioning. You dealt with that with alcohol. Yes. So talk to us about that progression.
1: So it, it like I told you when we were talking earlier, it kind of started with long baths and Mike's hard lemonade, and just mm-hmm. a little bit of self medicating at the end of the marriage. And then when we moved back up to Utah County, and the divorce was finalized, uh, a lot of the friends that I had were that were single were kind of in that lifestyle. My married friends were not, mm-hmm. and so it was just kind of the group I. Gravitated towards other people that were seeing what you had available. That's what it was available. And like I said, I got married so young, I didn't really have any wild college years. I didn't Mm -hmm. feel like I explored life. I wanted to see what was out there. And unfortunately, I am one of those people that is prone to addiction, and it didn't take long. Before it became something I needed instead of something Did you I have wanted.
0: Any sense of that prone to addiction?
1: Yeah, I mean, so what's funny is I've actually been tested for the MTHFR gene, which is an it's a gene that predisposes you to addiction if you really? ever do try something. So yeah, there's they've isolated a gene that makes you more likely to become addicted to anything, whether it's diet coke, pornography, drugs, and alcohol. There's a gene. And I was tested for that after I went to recovery or went through treatment, and I do have it, which I knew. I have. I come from a long line of alcoholics on both sides, so I had parents who didn't even touch it because of that, and... I grew up in a household that was completely drug and alcohol free, but right. I had a lot of it in my family. So
0: So when you have an a change in life event like that, there's so many different ways that you you could go, right? People deal with these things in very different ways. Knowing that alcoholism ran in your family, there was was there what was it that still caused you to go down that road? Was there not a moment where you went, huh, there's already alcoholism in my family. I don't think I'm going to be able to stop with hard lemonade.
1: Maybe I should go a different way. What is that? I mean, if only. That yeah. really would have simplified my life quite a bit. <laughs> why
0: didn't you just do I'm that, I Amy? Mean. Why
1: did I not think of that? Well, no, it's to it, like what your
0: mindset is? Or is it just you You don't ever so go much. into
1: something thinking like, there's a really good chance I'm going to become addicted to this. Yeah. Especially as an adult, when you've lived your whole life without something, you're just, it's a phase. In my head, yeah. it was a phase. It was something I was doing for myself. It was something I was doing, Consciously to rebel against everything that I had given my life to. And so you go through things where you think things are going to make you happier. And for me, what I had grown up thinking was going to make me happy had left me in this position where I wasn't as happy as I wanted to be. And so I was going to try the other end of the spectrum. And I never went into it thinking I might become addicted to this. It was really just a kind of a willful rebellion as a 30 something year old. I mean, it was really mature.
0: But that's... But that makes sense. Yeah. you like, I did all the right things and it didn't give me the answer mm-hmm. that it was supposed to give me. Maybe so I'll me try, try those other this. things and yeah. see what happens.
1: And there wasn't ever... I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a peaceful decision. It's not like I was happier yeah. at that point. It was just then the further into it you go, then it becomes not just a rebellion or not just a Friday night for fun. Then it's somebody made me sad today, so I'm going to drink. And then it's mm-hmm. I woke up not feeling well, so I'm going to drink. And then it's life is overwhelming, I'm going to drink. And then it becomes the solution to everything. And before you know it, it's the biggest problem you've ever had. Mm -hmm. So knowing what I know now, I would still do everything I did. I learned more about myself, about my kids, about my ex, about my parents, my friends, my family, and then this entire community of people that need help, that even if I could go back and rewind the clock to when this all started, I wouldn't take it away. And I wouldn't take it away for my kids. They have a weird, not weird, they have just a really wide open view of the world and a lot of empathy and a lot of patience with people. And they don't look at things in a black and white way because they have this mom who literally was a complete disaster for a long time, but is still a good person and still loves them and still has value. And so instead of it being about a mom with an addiction, Mm -hmm. it is just mom, that's awesome. So at what point did it get
0: into the the realm of addiction? Or what at what point did it become the solution for everything? How long was that time frame?
1: So it was about three years probably from from the divorce to where it was a problem. And it was probably another year after that before I was willing to get treatment or admit that it was a problem.
0: So fairly quickly.
1: Yeah. I mean it 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 spiraled pretty quickly. So it, it was four years after my divorce that I went to treatment the first time. And I say the first time, that's the only time I went to treatment, but I was able to maintain periods of sobriety that kind of came and went. So I was, I think I relapsed at six months. And then I, after that, I made it a year. And then after that, I made it three years. And then mm-hmm. just, it's a process.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you went through to a program here in the state, came out of that program. What happened next in your life?
1: Um. So... Unfortunately, I didn't change anything when I went into treatment. So I learned a lot about myself. It was a wonderful six weeks. I learned more about myself than, I mean, I used to say everybody should get to go to treatment for a month. Because it's a month of meditation and yoga and reflection and therapy. And you really just kind of get to know yourself all over again. And as an adult, that's a beautiful gift. And so I used to say, everybody should get this experience. But then I left and I was still in the relationship that had kind of gotten me into that position. Um, a new relationship. It was Yeah, not my my marriage, but a, a, a really toxic relationship that I was in. I had been in it for about a year, went to treatment, told myself I was going to end the relationship, and then got out and went right back to what I had left. And so there really wasn't ever any time to see what I could do on my own out there. I just went right back into the things that had gotten me into trouble in the first place.
0: What was it about that relationship that was toxic? I I would assume that if you're dealing with something like an addiction, whatever it is, that the relationships around you are critical, if not maybe one of the biggest factors Mm -hmm. into whether or not you succeed or relapse. Um, You know, what were the elements of that relationship that you're calling toxic
1: what is it that people that that
0: you identified as like adding to the problem so
1: it it was a I mean I hate to label somebody especially after moving on past it but it was it really was an emotionally abusive relationship it was a relationship with a type the type of person this this gets thrown around so much and I I hate to even throw this out there, but just a narcissist. And Uh so there was a lot of gaslighting. There was a lot of manipulation. There was a lot of being made to feel like I was somebody's savior. And so they needed me. And so my whole personality, I mean, I'm a nurse and this is what I do. And I wanted to save people that needed saving. Uh And so whenever I would think I was done or when I had reached rock bottom or hurt my kids enough or hurt my family enough, this person would come back with needing something from me. And there, I mean, you, there's a high that comes from that, from feeling like somebody needs you. And mm-hmm. so it it was an extremely codependent relationship mm-hmm. where I needed the drama that came. It became my new drug. And so oh, interesting. There, It's until you've been in it, it's really hard to kind of wrap your head around, especially now I think about how would I ever let myself get into that again. Yeah. And I would like to think that I would see the forest for the trees now. But at the time, it's like throwing a a frog in a pot of water that's room temperature and the frog doesn't jump out. And then all Mm -hmm. of a sudden it's boiling. And I joke that that was kind of my life, but it, it was a gradual thing. And I was neck deep in it before I ever knew what was going on. So when I left treatment, it was just like a natural thing to go back to that high, to go back to the ups and the downs. I mean, the fighting was its own reward. It's hard to...
0: Yeah, no, that makes that actually does make sense though. Sometimes we get ad- addicted to like emotion mm-hmm. gives you yeah. a bit of adrenaline or a bit of whatever chemical in your body. I yes. don't know what it is. That chemical but like just having emotion whether it's super high or even super low, low. Yep. can give you that same, same impact thing. same thing. They're feeling. all the
1: same. It's it's called the dopamine pathway and it is the go. same whether it's like I said whether it's pornography, food, drug and alcohol, relationship, fighting, making up. I mean, it's all kind of the same thing. And so I just replaced one addiction with another. So you
0: told me earlier that everyone in your life could see Mm -hmm. what was going on. (laughs) Everyone. Except you. Yep. Your kids. Yes. Your parents. My kids, my parents,
1: my friends, everybody. I mean, everybody. When I say everybody, I mean, absolutely everybody tried to get me to take a step back and see what was happening. And I would, and I would tell myself that I was done. And then I something would happen that would just suck me back in. And so um, all of my self-worth was pretty much annihilated. And so the only thing I had left was what I could get from that relationship. So it's, it's just a crazy cycle. Even
0: after, so I'm curious, like even after you went through the six weeks of therapy and you said it was a beautiful experience, but then you say all of your self-worth was annihilated still at that point. So I'm just like thinking of someone who's going through something like this where they're dealing with the shame that comes with addiction and the guilt and the self-loathing and all of those feelings. How do you, you know, if going through six weeks of treatment wasn't enough for you, and probably I'm skipping way to the end of (laughs) your story here, but like what could have happened to, to allow you to get out of that toxic, or to not go back into it?
1: Does that make sense? Like, yeah, was no, it does. That it, so that relationship was only about a year old when I went to treatment. And so I came back kind of bolstered and ready to start life. And then there was this person that acted like they supported me in that goal mm-hmm. and kind of worked their way back into my life. And again, being the person that I am trying to save people and mm-hmm. fix things and being a, you know, a caregiver, it was really easy for me to focus on winning, if that makes sense. He was somebody I could fix. He was somebody I could help. I mm-hmm. could prove everybody else wrong. I was bigger than the problem. And mm-hmm. so it was, it really, every time I thought I would be done, there would be this part of me that would be like, no, I can do this. I can win. So yeah, it, was, it, it became a drive to prove everybody wrong because if not, then I would have to admit I'd been wrong.
0: Was, it, was there an element of not wanting to
1: fail again? Fail again. Yeah, it was. was, I had given up. At that point, I had given up jobs. I had given up all of my financial stability. I ended up filing bankruptcy twice with this person. I say with, it was just me, but Mm -hmm. three years apart, I did it twice, which is not a proud thing. But so my relationships with my kids, my ex, my parents, everything had suffered. So I had to prove that it was worth it. I had to prove that I was right. I had to prove that it wasn't me.
0: Mm, yeah. So, what eventually got you out of this relationship? You were married. You got married. Mm-hmm.
1: We got married. We ended up separated a few months after that. It was just one of those things where I think you think, well, if we get married, then we're committed. Then we can fix this. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of issues ar- along the lines of loyalty or fidelity, and so I thought, if we were married, then that would oh. get better. <laughs> yeah. It was a really, <laughs> that piece of paper so, was change it. so smart. Yeah. I have a series of really good decisions over the last 10 years, but <laughs> we that, all do. We that, all do. that's what I thought is this. Okay. Once we're married, once we're committed, then all this crazy toxic, toxicity will go away and we'll just start living lives because mm-hmm. we had both, in you know, long-term marriages before, I knew we could po- possibly get there again. And I didn't, obviously. It just got worse. We separated, like I said, within a few months, never ended up moving back in with each other, although we were working on it the whole time. Mm-hmm. And it kind of—I started putting on a lot of weight. I just got really depressed. And by the time I really was ready to walk away from that, I divorced him. And then he still was trying to get back together even after the divorce was final. It, there was just this power and control that he had over me so that even after the divorce, I still felt like I was still stuck in this web that I couldn't get out of. And I had let everybody down. I had to divorce him. And so then everybody was right. Mm-hmm. And I just got incredibly depressed. I got suicidal. I started drinking again. I quit my job. And all all the while, he's there acting like he wanted to help me through this addiction and at the same time telling everybody that's why we got divorced because look at her she's this addict she can't get her life together and i mean it was all they i mean it was all one big mess it wasn't the chicken before the egg or the egg before the chicken i don't know what mm-hmm. the i mean it just was so all interrelated yeah so yeah it was about 3 months of just feeling suicidal crying a lot lots of drinking losing that job and then getting to the point where I knew I had to do something completely drastic, whether it was go back to treatment or move away. And were your kids with you during all of this? Where were your kids? So my kids moved in with their dad full-time when I went to treatment the first time. And then when I got out, then they would just kind of bounce back and forth. We've never had a really solid custody plan. We just, Mm -hmm. whatever the kids needed or wanted, we would do. But during the course of this relationship, they they didn't want anything to do with me, really. I mean, they yeah. they would come over because they loved me, and then it would be just tons of drama. And it just—my time with them actually ended up getting less and less just— and, I mean, who can blame them yeah. when they have a stable home with a dad and a stepmom that are amazing or this crazy mother that's in this crazy relationship that you never know which way it's going to go from one day to the next. So they were— They were mostly with their dad, and that was something that I had to wrap my head around, too, is that I had chosen somebody other than my kids and put somebody else first. Somebody else being the The, toxic relationship. Yeah, Yeah. the second.
0: Have you gotten past that that guilt?
1: Yes, now. Like I said, that was something that after the divorce— When I was living in Hawaii, which we haven't quite gotten to, but I moved to Hawaii shortly after divorce and spent a lot of time just on my knees, crying, pleading, trying to decide if I had made the right decision, even getting divorced in the first time, breaking up my family the first time. And Mm -hmm. so trying to make amends with my kids when I was almost 3,000 miles away from them was a little bit difficult. So I had to put in effort in ways that I hadn't before, and I had to be okay not being there. I would get videos of dance recitals or baseball games or things, and I just had to sit in it knowing that I had made a series of decisions over 10 years that had left me in this position where I was not even on the same continent as my kids for a while while I tried to put my life back together.
0: Did, you, did that always hit you as Acknowledging that that those were your decisions that created this situation, was there a point where you were blaming other people and you had to take that on, or from the beginning you knew this is my choice?
1: I have an awesome dad, and from the time I first turned twelve and started going to mutual activities, and which they're not called that anymore, but <laughs> church I'm super old. <laughs> yeah. But one of the things he used to he used to give a fireside or a, a little conference talk where he would talk about choices and that everything that we got in our life was the result of a choice that we made. And so I grew up knowing that I was making choices. I grew up knowing, even in my first marriage, I was choosing to stay. When things got really rough, I would ask my dad, like, how much longer am I supposed to do this? And he would say something like 70 times seven. Mm -hmm. It's always a choice. You can choose to be happy in this, or you can choose to be miserable in this. And so I feel like I even stayed in my first marriage a lot longer than I would have but it was because I felt like I was empowered in that. I was choosing to stay. I was choosing mm-hmm. to try and make it work. And so when I chose not to stay anymore and not to try and make it work and all of these other events started happening because of choices I made, that's when the guilt set in because did I choose that? I. That's interesting though, because
0: the alternative of the way you're looking at it is to make yourself the victim, right? Which ironically might have made... Less of the guilt, hidden <laughs> yes. the guilt. Let's say yeah. hidden the guilt, yeah. right? Yeah, If you make yourself, but it sounds like you never did that. You never looked at yourself as the victim of circumstances. You recognize this is my choice. Yeah,
1: I was, I was raised by parents that empowered me and I knew that I could do anything I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And that... I was always the one in control. And that was part of the whole why we don't drink, why we don't do drugs. I mean, it's a choice. You don't want to give something power over you. And if you give into something, then that might have power over you. So just make good choices. I mean, it sounds really simple and really (laughs) elementary, but it's true. I knew that everything—I could trace back everything that happened to me to a decision I had made. Mm -hmm. And there were a few times in my life, even in my first marriage, where I would be on my knees praying about a decision, and I would know— just know that if I chose this, it would totally alter my life and I would make that decision consciously. Mm. And when you have experiences like that, it's really hard to go back and blame somebody else.
0: Well, it's probably one of the elements that's allowing you to do what you're doing now in helping other people, right? I think so I, I think it's yeah. very hard to go out and help other people when you can't when you're see that. Yes, when you feel that your life was coming from a state of being a victim. So. Yeah. All right, so speaking of empowerment, at the end of your second marriage, tell us how you decided to get out, get on with it.
1: So I had quit my job. I was just spending a lot of time drinking and laying in bed, and I was getting nowhere, and and part of it was just this fear. I was scared to go out and see somebody. I was scared to go out and be somewhere that would remind me of something, and so I, I kind of folded in on myself, and I, I shrank. I mean, I just— there was zero self-confidence left because I had made all these decisions that had got me literally to the lowest point in my life. So what what else? Right. I just needed to protect myself. So when I finally decided to get a job, I decided I would I would apply for a travel nursing job and do something a little bit different. But I I only was gonna accept Hawaii. I didn't want to move out to Maryland in the winter. I mean, it was December good, that I that's a good choice. It was December that I was applying for jobs. So it was basically Hawaii or nothing. And I was still applying for jobs in Utah, but just I, I made up my mind that I was going to go to Hawaii. I'd been to Hawaii many, many times over the past you know, 10 years that I was single. It was kind of always the place I would run away to. Mm-hmm. There's a solidarity and a peace and a spirit there that is so comforting to me that I knew that that was the only place that I was going to be able to go. So I applied for a lot of jobs and I was out on a walk one morning in Springville. It was like 19 degrees. 808 number was calling and I knew that it was a job. And we did a quick interview while I was on my walk. And she asked if I could be there within the week, which ended up putting me there on December 21st. Oh, and wow. knowing I was leaving my kids for Christmas. And I immediately said yes and called my dad and asked if he would help me make travel arrangements and help pay for my flights and stuff to get out there because I literally had nothing left, nothing. I was at the mercy of him being willing to help me. And then I told my kids, and every single one of them was so happy for me. And once I told them that, then all the guilt set in, and I was— I knew I couldn't do it. I just, how am I going to leave? Yeah, I just, how am I leaving these kids? How am I leaving them again? How old were they? So they're 13 to 20. So they're not babies. And like I said, their dad and stepmom lived close. They were, Amazing. But I really started second guessing the decision to leave because I felt like I was doing something that was very selfish again. Yeah. Um, and my daughter, who's 13, tagged me in a post on Instagram, and it was just a picture of a girl standing on a mountain in Hawaii, and her caption said, You'll never regret the decision to move to Hawaii. Oh. And yes, my I, I can't believe I just told that without crying. That's the I first time. <laughs> That's the first time I've ever told that story without crying. I'm crying for you. It was, I saw it and I bawled and I knew that they just wanted mom back. They didn't care what it took. They, didn't, they knew that I was not the mom they knew anymore. And so they were willing to do whatever it took. And so on December 21st, I went over to my ex-husband's house and was hugging them all goodbye. And I was sobbing. And they were all just, bye, Hi. bye, go, Keep go, going. go, you're ready. Do your thing. And, and there was never a, they never gave me an ounce of guilt. It was 100% support. Please go find yourself. Please come back as our mom. And it was the single best decision I've ever made in my entire life. So tell us what happened in Hawaii. So, you know, Hawaii is a lot different than Utah and the liquor laws are different. And you can walk into a gas station and and there's just shelves and shelves of hard liquor. And I didn't know a single soul. I went to a tiny little town on the northern northern tip of the Big Island. So um, it's an old ranching town, very small town. Everybody knows each other, but I knew no one. And I was living with a really neurotic, crazy... I shouldn't say crazy, a neurotic lady. She's I, not listening to this. She, so. I definitely agree. Not. This might be the thing, yeah. but there was just, there was zero accountability as far as anyone outside of myself. And so I went over there knowing that I was going over there to get sober again and that I was going over there to get my life together. And I had to walk into every gas station, every Target, every restaurant with menus and shelves full of things that I was actually trying to eliminate from my life, but there was nobody there to tell me not to. And so it was for the very first time when I was actually doing something because I wanted to do something. It wasn't because I was worried that somebody would see me buying it or that somebody would smell it on me or that somebody would care. I mean, nobody cared if I drank or that over there or not. Nobody knew I was an alcoholic. And so it was something that I was faced with every single day to walk in and say, this isn't who I want to be anymore and make the decision not to. And as heavily as I was drinking before I left, it is a little bit surprising knowing what I know about addiction and Mm -hmm. and withdrawals and whatnot, but that I was able to go over there and literally not drink a drop of alcohol for four months. Do with you, it staring in the face.
0: Yeah. Do you know what the key was?
1: What the difference was? Can you look at it now and, and see? It just, I had finally hit my rock bottom. And I knew I didn't want that to be my story. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be, I wanted to make choices again. I didn't want to be a slave to something that I had brought into my life. And so I knew I needed the clarity. I knew I needed the freedom. I knew I needed the money. Mm-hmm. I just, it It had to be about me. That's
0: really interesting. That you're saying that it was just, well, part of it,
1: I'm sure it's not all of it, but
0: part of it was just that element of having choice and having that choice be 100% just about you as an individual, not about the people around you, not living up to expectations, not worrying about not living up Mm -hmm. to expectations, not following a social standard that you were used to. Mm
1: -hmm. I would have fit in better had I been drinking. I mean, honestly, it just, it was, if I had chosen to do that, it would have been my own guilt and my own regret that I had to live with. It wouldn't be anybody's judgment, anybody's disappointment. Mm -hmm. It would have just been my own disappointment. And it was, like I said, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because day in and day out, I had to decide what I wanted and who I wanted to be. That speaks to just exactly what you said. So how powerful it is for us to really
0: understand who we are and to make our life choices based off of us as individuals and only us as individuals, how powerful that is and how much more important that is, I think. Oh, yeah. To live your life on your own terms. Yeah. For, your,
1: for real reasons, not for exactly. trying to impress others. Or We're always going to be faced to to with it. that. I mean, yeah. we're always going to have people that have expectations for us. I mean, I'm sure you feel that yeah. here in this industry. You've <laughs> talked about it on previous <laughs> yeah. blog yeah, or podcasts yeah. where there is a standard that's kind yeah. of set and until you're okay just with you and can do these things because you want them, because you feel better about yourself, because you feel empowered and this would be a horrible industry to be part of if you weren't right confident in just who you were and it's, I mean, I just think every woman can relate to that on every level, as a mother, as an employee, as a boss, anything, as a wife, as a friend. They have to be... You have to be okay
0: with who you are and love yourself, right? Okay, so you spent about four months in Hawaii, Mm -hmm.
1: and not a drop. Not a drop, yeah. I mean, I almost gave up Diet Coke, too, but not quite. (laughs) I I got a lot closer. but. (laughs) baby steps. We're so not even talk yeah, about that. yeah we won't. So, <laughs>
0: okay. So when did you, de- what, what made you decide I'm ready to come home?
1: So my contract was up, but I actually had been applying for jobs to stay out there. I was so happy. I was so comfortable. I felt so protected because I was an entire ocean away from all of the triggers and the drama and everything mm-hmm. that I'd left yeah. behind. I actually thought I would stay out there possibly for a year or so. And then it was, Just knowing that I was going into my son's senior year, my daughter was, she's my only daughter, she's just hitting junior high. It just was one of those things where it was like, okay, what's more important here? You having it easy, because it was easier out there. Mm -hmm. Aside from missing my kids, my life was easier. I was anonymous. There were no expectations. I was in paradise. I mean. Okay, that sounds amazing. (laughs)
0: It was wonderful. I have no problem with alcohol, but that sounds like I should go there for sure.
1: I agree. But it I mean, you can only live that way for so long and then you need meaning again and yeah. you need decisions and you need trials. And it wasn't, the only trial I had was missing my kids. And so it was, I finally got to a point where I felt like, okay, you can do this. It doesn't matter what you go home to. It doesn't matter who you run into or what memories pop up. You, you need. It's time to be a mom. I so mean, so you weren't been,
0: scared to go home.
1: I was or, terrified. Okay, I bawled. I got to the airport and sobbed just as hard as I had when I left for Hawaii. And when I landed in Utah, I, I mean, it was, it was April. It was like hazy. It was cold. It just was such a stark contrast to what yeah. I had just left. And I got here and I just thought, oh my gosh. But my daughter came with my mom to pick me up, and that was. That That was was it. Yeah, it was just, that was it. It was a chapter that was closed. And I still have a picture of the house I'm going to buy someday. And it's still on my dream board. And that's still, my new husband even knows, like, that is something that will happen someday. That means something to me. Because it was such a sanctuary and it's such a sacred place for me that if I could go back regularly, if I could take my kids and my grandkids, that's, that's part of my story now. So... It was really hard to come back, though. I was terrified. I had to look for a real job. I had to figure out a new place to live. I mean, I needed to make changes so that I wasn't still coming back to just that same depression and sad state. I mean, I had just, I left it behind. So what did life look like when you came back to Utah? So I decided to get a job doing home health because in Hawaii, I had worked part of my job was at a skilled nursing side of the hospital where it was just all these little old locals that had mm-hmm. just amazing stories that awesome little people. I mean, one of the guys played a song for me one day that said, it's a Frank's not just song. I didn't even know existed. It's called Once in Love with Amy, Always in Love with Amy. Aww. And it was so cute. And we danced. And, I mean, I just got to oh. know these really sweet old souls that yeah. had just stories and stories. And so I decided I was going to do that when I got back. I didn't want to just be an ER nurse that just had an agenda pushing people through. I wanted, wanted to get to know stories and yeah. relationships. So I came back and I did that. And it gave me a lot of freedom with my kids. I didn't miss games. I didn't miss dance um, recitals. I didn't miss date nights or Sunday afternoons or anything. I just focused completely on being a mom. I didn't date. I didn't talk to guys. I didn't hang out with my girlfriends. I just came back and focused hundred percent on just being a stable, normal mom. And so um, I ended up moving to someplace a little bit smaller, a little bit more affordable, so I wouldn't be financially stressed. Mm -hmm. And that's what I threw myself into, is just helping people and helping my kids have a mom again. And then I had only been back at that job for four months when I found out about Ardu. And just on a whim, saw an ad for it and just thought, okay, this is where, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is where I can hear stories where I can get to know people, but where I can actually be a force for change and for good and use the stories that I have and the experiences that I have to help somebody else. And so. So Ardu is an
0: inpatient, okay, that's uh-huh.
1: the right term. inpatient addiction recovery yep. center. We do detox. So we do a medical detox, which Most places don't do. You usually have to go to a hospital or someplace like Provo Canyon. Mm -hmm. So we do medical detox for alcohol, drugs, all of them. And then we do a residential treatment program too. So once they graduate from the detox side, they can go over and get the therapy and the groups and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So,
0: So how has that experience been? I can imagine very, very rewarding, but is there an element of it that's really hard to see that
1: these people are going through what you went through at some point? It's an emotionally draining job. Right. For sure. I mean, you get really wrapped up in people's stories and their success. And when people struggle or slip, it you feel that personally. Mm-hmm. And it's you lose people in that industry. And it's yeah. really, it can be devastating. But also, it is the most rewarding thing that I have ever done. Because you see people come in without any light in their eyes. They come in at the lowest of their low. And then you see them kind of struggle through changes and get a little bit stronger every day and then their kids start coming to visit or their Mm -hmm. wife starts talking to them again or they start applying for jobs. And I mean, you have people come back a year later that it's the first time they've held a job for more than a month at a time or Mm -hmm. they've got custody of their kids back where it's true all-encompassing change for these people. It's the easiest job I've ever had too because what else would I do? I mean, I've (laughs) what else would make this much of a difference? What else Mm -hmm. would motivate me every day to continue on my journey. So being there, you feel like helps keep you on track oh, with your goals in yeah. life where you want to stay. Yeah. It makes you really stop and reevaluate when you're looking at people who have lost it all and come in. And I know that feeling. And I I mean, even as much as I love Friends, when the Friends theme song comes on, it's a trip back to three months in bed drinking. I don't have to go back to that person anymore. I mean, it's a conscious decision every day. There's there's still hard things. There's things that I would love to numb out with alcohol. Mm. That is how I deal with things. I would love to bury it. I don't like feeling intense emotions. I don't Mm -hmm. know that any of us do, but most people will work out or they will do other things. And I liked to drink that away. And so seeing other people in that position that I don't ever want to end up again is really good motivation to just stay the course.
0: Do you share your own personal story with the
1: people? All the time. Mm. All the time. I The very first time I shared my story was when I had first gotten out of treatment. I was working in the ER at Timpanogos. And a lot of times when addicts and, and alcoholics come in, it's kind of a nose goes. Nobody wants to take it. Um, a nose? A n- <laughs> nose goes. No. <laughs> Touch your nose, no. not it. <laughs> Sorry. I, I'm not familiar I, with that. Look, we're on a podcast. See what I'm doing? Oh. So... It was, nobody wanted to take those clients because they were hard. I mean, we, there's names that I'm sure you've heard, like frequent flyer people that uh-huh. you, they come in all the time and you just roll your eyes. Oh my gosh, again, like, when are they going to yeah. get it? And after going through you've treatment, for yeah, them. I was like, wait, I know what that feels like. And so I started volunteering for those. And the first time I shared my story was a woman about my age and about my situation. And I said, look, I just got out of treatment a month ago and her jaw dropped. She was like, what are you doing here? I guess this is good of my ancestor, I don't know. But it just was so empowering to tell her my story, to see her say, wait, this is possible. And so that's when I decided to start the first blog I ever wrote. And it was to just share it so that people who knew me as the primary president or the the coach's wife or the mom of four also knew that I was also a closet alcoholic and gave up a lot of things that meant everything to me to feed an addiction, whether it was a drug or a person.
0: Can we spend a moment on that side of your story? And that's just, you know, living in any environment, I, I don't, you know, we we both live here in Utah. And so we have our perspective on the, <laughs> the culture. The culture, <laughs> there you go. The culture here. But, I'm, but I think to be fair, that's going to be everywhere in the world. So I'd love to hear... Have you had negative feedback from sharing from people? Have you felt judged or have you opened up and felt support? What's it been like for you?
1: That's been the beautiful thing is I think when you start to be authentic with who you really are, nobody's going to judge you or or question you for that because that takes a lot of courage too. I feel like I probably would have been a lot more harshly judged if I had just kept going like nothing had ever happened or nothing was wrong. Being able to stop and say, look, this sucks and this is what i've been through. I i think that's why i decided to continue the blog. I i got hundreds of messages the first time my first blog post from people that knew me, from people who had been shared with that just said i'm going through this or my sister's going through this or my mom's going through this and just to be able to talk about it and kind of destigmatize it mm-hmm. and just it may not be alcohol you're going through, but it may right. be netflix, it may be a gym <laughs> addiction. I mean, you think about it everybody has something that they use to cope or to self-medicate. And to be able to say, look, it's okay to acknowledge that, to talk about your failures, to talk about your weaknesses, and then find strength in that from people that know what you're going through. Nobody knows what you're going through if you're not willing to share it. So I, I didn't get anything negative. I think people, I mean, I'm sure there were people that didn't like that I was this vomiting open book on the internet. <laughs> it's not for everybody. You've read some of this. I don't have much of a filter. I say what I'm thinking. But at the same time, I try to bring out positivity in the end with a lesson I may have learned or an experience I may have had that strengthened me. Mm-hmm. And so it has been, there are times when I don't want to write, where I don't want to talk about things and I want to pretend like my life is fine. And mm-hmm. I don't want to keep bringing up struggles. I feel like. People have got to be so sick of Amy's alcoholic stories. <laughs> and then I will just have an experience or a feeling. And people know when I do this, it's kind of my, I'm tapping on my shoulder endlessly. But it's like that nag where when I start to feel like I need to write something, that doesn't go away till you I sit down on and write shoulder. it. I just sit there until it's okay. And then I transfer that energy into the keyboard. And once I decide to write something like that, it comes out so quickly and so Naturally, that then I post it and then I have to go away from social media because oh, I yeah. don't want to sit there and think, What are people saying? Are people commenting? Mm-hmm. Is this well received? Are people like shocked that I talked about bodily function front?
0: <laughs> we're just gonna say it. She has a blog. Well, we should say the name of your blog, first of all, is Dude, it's fine. Dude, it's fine. Dude, Dude it's fine. Which I love. It's fine. <laughs> you kind of go into an explanation of where that name came from, and it's basically like, My life is falling apart, I'm a mess. Dude, it's fine.
1: It's can be fine. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the blog entries on here is called Front Farts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of my more glamorous pieces. <laughs> <laughs> it starts with a rap. Uh, yeah. Well, I read it as a poem. It's a poem. But, you're but I mean, it's if, a we, rap. if you call it a rap, is it cooler? I probably. mean, is it? it's probably. It's, yeah, I busted out a rhyme. To, cooler. To, yeah. yeah.
0: But it's called Front <laughs> Farts. And it is graphic,
1: people. It, yeah. it's not
0: It's not like a cute little feminine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's not. It's the story of one woman embracing her, like, sudden and obnoxious weight gain when she went yes. into deep, dark depression and alcoholic binge. And just the things that change yeah. in... A person when they gain that much weight that quickly. So I have to laugh at myself yeah, or I'll cry.
0: So, okay. So I'm, I'm going to ask you about that too, because you do talk a lot in your blog, and I think you mentioned it in the profile too, of the weight gain that you've experienced yes. in, I don't know, is this recent? No. No? Like over the last 10, it, whole ten years? It, no. So it happened...
1: Right after the second divorce, and it was sudden, and it was a lot, and I I attribute part of that to becoming forty. I mean, everybody knows that that forty stinks for some people. Clearly, not for you. Um, I I, I cheat. I don't know if you know this, but we're sitting in a spa right now. I am going to find that before I leave today.
0: So, but how do you? How are you not letting something that obviously is is a frustration. We'll call it a frustration for you. I Mm -hmm. know, I know, I know. And for women, weight and physical beauty Mm -hmm. and all of it, it's a, it's a thing, Mm -hmm. right? I know that better than anybody. How are you
1: not letting something like that keep you from backsliding? So I kind of did for a while. That was the funny thing. I just, I refused to buy new clothes. I just lived in leggings and baggy shirts and I wouldn't look in the mirror and I refused to date because if I date, then I have to be willing to put myself out there. And I wouldn't look in the mirror. I wouldn't- And buying clothes that oh, commits to it. Forget it, yeah. Mm-hmm. I. I. If you go to my closet right now, it's funny because it's completely full of clothes that I fit in three years ago and nothing that I can fit in right now. We but all do that. <laughs> I will not give up. But it, it was really hard to not let my outer appearance affect what I was doing as a person. And so part of my way of kind of dealing with that is to write funny blog posts about it and mm-hmm. just own it. I gained 60 pounds in six months. That is more than I ever gained pregnant in nine months with all four of my kids. I've never been this weight in my entire life. But it doesn't define what I'm doing as a person. It doesn't define who I am. I don't like it because I don't feel healthy. I don't feel comfortable in my own skin. I sit in an office and sweat to death (laughs) when everybody else is just fine. (laughs) It's hot in here. (laughs) Sure. But it just... The beautiful thing about it is that I ended up in a relationship that's the best relationship I've ever had because there's this person that came along and just fell in love with me, who loves me. And he knew me when I was skinny. I've known him for 20 years. And he came along and was just like, I love you. Don't change. If you feel like you need to change, change. But you are perfect the way you are. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of had a downside because I'm like, okay. I'll just go buy a bigger dress and (laughs) can can you, can you be a little meaner, (laughs) but it's not something I'm used to. Somebody just loving me the way I showed up. I've never had to worry about anything outward. I know he just loves me. That's and awesome. I can do all these great things and still kind of make fun of the fact that I'm heavy. And then somebody can relate to that too. I mean, it's not always just running around size two and mm-hmm. happy and bubbly and finishing at the gym. I mean, some people's reality, but it's not most <laughs> people's <laughs> No, it's reality. not. It's not. So, and I
0: think whether it's weight or anything, I think the point is like you are at that point, which we talked about earlier in the podcast, where it's, you are getting, there, you are getting to it. It's forever journey of just loving yourself. Mm-hmm. You're loving yourself and the external relationships, the physical side of things are no longer dictating
1: who you are, what you do. Exactly. Which is an amazing, beautiful place to be. It really is. It's not a place I expected to be. It kind yeah. of snuck up on me and it took moving away and then coming back and just focusing on the person I wanted to be. Finding a career I loved, a job I love, a mission I love, a, a telling stories that I love, and just mm-hmm. being okay with being the girl that writes about front farts and then <laughs> having a guy that still comes in knowing that and says,
0: Yeah, did you write like that you.
1: before I you did. met? I did. did so you read that? Before he, did. He, got <laughs> <laughs> he did. He did. A lot just of a people have man. read that. Yeah, including my ex who. The was whole story was story. about, yeah. So yeah. we laugh and have. I mean, I have to show you that I have all these lovely big bruises here because Friday night we were at a football game. My son got a concussion. So Aww. my ex and I were called down to the field. So as we're walking back up to the stands, I have my hands, my hoodie, and I'm just turning, looking at my ex. And I totally missed the first step going back up to the bleachers. <laughs> and it was just like elephant down. And it was just, oh, I full body flayed out on these stairs in front of the whole student body. And I just had to jump up and say, ta-da, and I'm laughing with my ex and joking. Aren't you glad your wife doesn't look like this anymore? And just embrace, it's okay. It's I'm going to fall in front of the whole student body and break 15 bones in front of my ex who <laughs> literally doesn't miss a day at the gym, nor does his <laughs> darling little perfect wife. And it's okay. That's, I love her. <laughs> I do. I love her. And I am um, who I am yeah. and I will laugh with the student body that could not stop laughing because <laughs> it was funny. And That's had I so been cool. skinnier, I probably would have broken something. So hey. I bounced. So <laughs> there are positives <laughs> in everything. <laughs> you did not you were... I mean you're right. I didn't I no, more I more just collapsed, but like... we, I rolled. <laughs> I, I I just kind of oozed back into a standing position. <laughs> Oh my gosh. With very little pride left and a really good story. So,
0: okay, you're funny, but the reality is you're you're actually gorgeous. <laughs> She's beautiful. Thank you, beautiful, beautiful. Okay, so I think maybe you answered this question I had in my head to ask you, which is, what are the day to days that you're doing to keep yourself on this amazing track that you're on? Congratulations, I'm so happy for sure. you. I, I, you maybe just mentioned everything, but what are your day to days of keeping yourself on track?
1: So obviously I have a really amazing job where that is my focus, but at the same time, um, just prioritizing what is important to me. So I'm one of those people that needs sleep a lot. I am not the type of person that can go to bed at midnight or one and get up at 5am. My husband gets up every day at five. So we, we're little old people that go to bed between eight and nine and I just turn off my phone and I put it away and I allow myself the end of the day. And then when five o'clock rolls around, I'm not tired. I get up when he gets up. I take my time. I meditate. I write. I I don't do well at exercising or eating very well. But that is on my list of to-dos for sometime sometime in the future. Down the road. Yeah, way, probably way down the road. But really, it's just those little things. It's just yeah. making sure that my kids know that they're a priority, making sure my husband knows he's a priority. And then just resting when I'm tired, meditating Mm -hmm. when I'm stressed, hiking when I can't get my head to settle down. I I know it doesn't look like it, but I do spend a lot of time in the mountains and love to hike, love to hike alone. That's where I do my best thinking and where I get the most solace. And so just taking care of me, I do Botox. I do things that make me feel pretty, even though Mm -hmm. I have to buy bigger clothes. (laughs) I just make sure that I take care of, take care of myself because if not, I know how quickly that can crumble around me. Yeah. I, that's a really powerful
0: list for anybody and everything. And I love the first thing that you said is, I think, impactful for me. And that is go to get that sleep because you've got to be at your full capacity
1: to battle the day everything. or to make it through yeah. the day. Right? I've learned. I mean, it. took yeah. I'd worked nights for a long time and ran on very little sleep with little kids at home when I was trying to make it work as a young mom. And that doesn't sit no. well with me. I, I'm i a sleeper. Yeah. And no, everybody knows. I mean, everybody at work has my husband's phone number because he leaves his phone on just in case there's an emergency. They know mine will be off and I'll be asleep. But they can call his and get a hold of me if they need to. But that way I can turn but it off know, and I can put it away for the night. because You need all your faculties. As a director and a boss, yeah, like they're— If you don't Mm -hmm. put it away, you could work 24-7. Oh, yeah. Somebody will need something from you at all hours of the day if you don't draw a boundary there. And so I work, 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 work. And then at the end of the day... We watch our show, we go to bed, we we act like we're 80, but we're really happy (laughs) 80-year-olds.
0: Oh, I'm so happy for you. That's awesome. All right, let's wrap it up with what, give us one message that if you would love for people to know to put into their own lives, what would you love people to know and
1: implement their own lives? You you asked me this, and I don't remember what I wrote down, but I, I think the biggest thing and the reason I share my story is just for everybody to own their story, just to really own what has, is that what I said? That's what you said. Oh, yeah. I just looked it up. Good. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's why I write, and I think that's why I share, and why I, I don't have a filter is because we all have a story, and once we start sharing it they're a lot more similar than we think. I mean, just because I'm not in Lulu's at the gym doesn't mean I don't have something in common with that girl. And just because I'm not at my darkest day in a detox right now, it doesn't mean I don't have something in common with her. We all have stories to own. And the more we share and the more open we are, the more we realize we're a lot more alike than we think.
0: Beautiful. Thank you. Thank okay, you. tell us tell us where your blog is again and what social
1: where on social media people can follow you. This
0: blog. It's really funny.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so the blog is called dudeitsfine.com, www.dudeitsfine.com. dot dudeitsfine.com. No apostrophes, no nothing. And yeah, as far as other social media, I kind of You're not into it, but this, I mean, this is you. This is the story me, yeah. you want to share. And yeah, I I I'm not super consistent on writing on it. it just something has to hit Some the tapping has to start and then I'll share a story and and then there will be a new post but yeah. well it's great well, the stuff
0: that's on it is, is really fun but entertaining and good lessons thank you thanks for joining us Amy it was super fun to have you thanks Carrie. thanks for joining us for another episode of She's Simply Amazing if you are loving this podcast and getting so much out of it please help us grow it you can subscribe to the podcast and share each episode that you love. You can join our community on Instagram by following at Simply Amazing Podcast. And please, please, if you're loving this, go leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. Those reviews really help us grow. We'll see you next week.